people hear the name Jim Jones, most people think of the cult, but not when it comes to training. Jim Jones pretty much set the industry standard for being in shape on film as they train the cast members for the movies Man of Steel, 300, 300 Rise of an Empire, just to name a few. And today you're going to get to hear an interview with the GM and training director of Jim Jones, Bobby Maximus. Not only has he broken multiple power endurance world records, but he's also an accomplished mixed martial arts fighter who's fought in the premier MMA competition, the UFC. Now, looking at Bobby, you would think that, wow, this guy, he's just always been in shape because he is a specimen. But you would be wrong. In fact, Bobby grew up as a pretty geeky kid, as you'll hear. He played Magic the Gathering. He's a big Star Wars fan. And it wasn't until some early events in his life got him into wrestling, into mixed martial arts, and into all the things that we're going to be discussing in this episode. And at first, I wanted to interview Bobby about the methods that they use at Jim Jones to get people in such phenomenal shape. And we did get into that. So you'll hear some practical steps that you can take to spice up your workout and take your fitness to the next level. But what we started with was even more powerful. It was one of the most powerful conversations I've ever had about developing a winner's mindset, hearing Bobby's story, hearing him talk about how he became who he is today and what he does as a leader at Jim Jones to lead people into the best shape of their life. So get ready to supercharge your mind, body, and spirit with Bobby Maximus. Maximus, welcome to the Legendary Light Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me on. It's an honor to have you on. I've read about your story. You are the general manager and training director of the legendary Jim Jones. And we're having you on today to talk about the culture there, your training, and the mental aspect of what physical exercise can do for you and more. So just super excited about finally connecting with you. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be on your show. Great. So let's start out by if you could talk a little bit about what you do, what Jim Jones is, because a lot of people have heard about you before and about Jim Jones, but a lot of people don't. So could you just give a brief bio about who you are, what you do, Bobby? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll talk about this, I guess, in a roundabout way a little bit. The gym for us, I mean, the biggest thing that separates us, I believe, from other people, other gyms, other groups, is that the gym for us is a lot more than just picking shit up and putting it down. It's a lot more than just simple physical training. I really believe, and Jim Jones really believes, that through exercise, we can really become better people and we can really affect a positive change in numerous areas of our of our lives. I've seen countless examples of people who through exercise have become better husbands, better wives. They've become better at work. They've become better parents. And at the end of the day, we believe that improving yourself as a person is the ultimate goal. At the end of the day, you want to be better than you were the day before. And that, those are the guiding principles of our gym. And there's a lot of sayings that have sprung out of that. We say the mind is primary. We tell people to unfuck their head. A lot of our work is as psychological as it is physical. Awesome. I love that. And I've experienced the same thing. This is the first time talking with you, but I've been in the fitness industry for a long time. And that's what happened. It helped me get my mind right. Health and fitness is the foundation for a successful life is what I say. So I love that, man. And uh, I want to get more into that psychological aspect before we dive into some practical training tips. But before that, you have an amazing story because if anyone were to go to your Facebook page or go to Jim Jones' website, see you deadlifting 600 pounds or seeing your 250-pound physique, 
everyone would look at you and say, wow, that guy was born a beast. He's always been a beast. And that's probably just genetics. But you have a story that's somewhat different from what most people's perceptions are who would just see that superficial view. Could you talk about how you grew up, how you got into what you got into? Because I don't want to give any spoilers away. And we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in a small town in northern Ontario in Canada. And honestly, I was an active child. I mean, the age, I'm 37 years old. And I believe that almost everyone who grew up that, you know, that's between the ages of 35 and 45, we all did stuff outside. But I was never an athlete. I was always picked last for the sports teams. I could barely make sports teams, you know, if I made them at all. I wasn't what you'd call a natural born athlete. I was never part of the, you know, the popular group of kids at school. And in fact, in grade nine, you know, I was, I was bullied and I think everyone to a degree is bullied. I don't want to make too much of it, but you know, I was made fun of. And one day in grade nine, a group of hockey players, they, uh, basically broke my collarbone in, uh, in a gym class. It was in the middle of wrestling class. And, after that, something kind of switched off inside my head, and I said, I don't want this to happen anymore. I don't want to be bullied. I don't want to be put down. I, I've got to get more fit. So I actually joined the wrestling team, the very same sport I had my collarbone broken in. And my first year, I lost every single match. I was absolutely terrible. But the wrestling team at my school, there was no cuts on it. There was no, you know, it was the team that people tried out for if they couldn't make any other team. You know, it was ranked behind basketball and football and hockey and soccer and volleyball and all these other sports. And so I just kept trying and they allowed me to keep coming out. And my second year, I think I won one match. At any rate, I discovered the weight room. I started training. I started working hard. I kept showing up to practice. I wouldn't quit. And I think through that tenacity, I started to get good at things. And then all of a sudden, I was a pretty damn good wrestler. And then because of that, I was able to make the track and field team. I was able to make the football team. And I actually, my last year of high school, went on to an athlete of the year, which was a shock to most people you know, that I grew up with. And from there, that just led to a springboard. I had learned a really valuable lesson that through hard work, anything was possible. And if you show up, don't quit, ask some questions along the way and really pour your whole, you know, body, soul and mind into something. I really, you know, learned that anything is possible. And so I found myself a really good wrestler at the collegiate level. And then I started kickboxing. And before long, I fought for a world kickboxing championship. And then I found myself in the ultimate fighting championship. And I remember being, at, you know, my first fight in the ultimate fighting championship just thinking like, I don't belong here. How did this, you know, how did this happen? And it's one of the things that I frankly, I've grappled with my whole life. You know, I still don't see myself, I guess, as other people see me. And what you said is people see me and they assume I'm some 250 pound beast that was, you know, was born this way. I still, you know, in a lot of ways, I see myself as the kid that, you know, loved Magic the Gathering and Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and video games. And that's a lot more of who I am than just lifting weights in a gym and trying to be athletic. Yeah. And I have a very similar story. I was playing Dungeons and Dragons, not Magic, but I was bullied. And that's what got me into martial arts. And I didn't get into wrestling, but got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I did not fight MMA. Unfortunately, I got injured training for my first fight and decided that I was not going to be an injured personal trainer, just the two making money to support the fighting and getting hurt just probably wouldn't work out for me. But you know, you've had some amazing fights, some successes, and you also have a really interesting story about why you stopped fighting. Can you share that? Yeah, honestly, it was because of my son. And one of the things that I think that's important for people to realize is the reality of where they stand in any given situation. The reality for me for fighting was, you know, I won submission of the night in the UFC. I won a world championship in an organization called Ring of Fire, but I wasn't the best fighter in the world. I was a person that won a fight, lost a fight, won a couple of fights, lost a fight. And when I had my son, I decided that you know, it was time to let go of fighting, that I'd had a wonderful career. My goal was to make the UFC, and I'd actually won a fight in the UFC. And I wanted to devote my time for to, to him and be a better family man. 
you know, rather than that, rather than chasing something that, that was a dream of mine, I'd really accomplished that. And so I made the decision to pour myself into being a good dad. I didn't, you understand you've been involved in jujitsu and fighting. I didn't want to train five or six hours a day and miss some of the most important parts of his life. And so I made the decision to, you know, walk away from fighting and I was completely comfortable with it. I'd accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish. And, you know, I, I, I've never looked back on it with a sense of regret. I always think I made the right decision. And actually through my son, I've actually got back into martial arts. We do Taekwondo together now. And we cool. started at the same, we started at the same belt level. And uh, our plan is to earn our black belts at the same time. I'm on the same path as he is on the same timeline as he is. And it's, it's remarkable to be able to do that with him together now that he's old enough to do it. Yeah, that's such a great story and great lesson as well. And I'll tell you, I learned the same thing. Man, I, I gave so much of my life to jujitsu and to training and spending all that time. And and obviously, as a UFC fighter, if you're going to pursue MMA, because I have a lot of MMA fighter friends, it is their full-time job. And it's a hard living to make. I've got friends who are who are world champions in MMA, but they haven't made the UFC. They may not make the UFC, and it's it's just a struggle. For anyone who hears your story and is perhaps struggling with this idea, right, Bobby? There's this idea that we should be able to accomplish our dreams, go after our goals, make something that everyone tells us that we can't do to actually come true in our life versus making a decision like what you made and what I made. And I I chose to focus on my business and to pursue what I'm doing now, inspiring more people, giving talks and through corporate wellness and some of the other things I'm doing through this podcast. And now you're doing, being the best father you can be, being the best general manager of this amazing gym and being a leader there. Could you help someone out who's maybe struggling with this idea of going for a dream versus really being grounded in reality and about what their real potential is? You know, I really believe in life that anything is possible as long as you're willing to put in enough work. That said, every single thing has a cost. And at the end of the day, the goal is to be able to look yourself in the mirror and be happy with the choices you've made. For some people, they make the choice to be a professional fighter. They make the choice to be a professional football player or a professional basketball player, and that's what makes them happy. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. At the same time, there are people I know who've walked away from their sport or walked away from their job to be a better family man. And I think that's a wonderful goal as well. I don't think that being a professional athlete or being the best in the world at what you do is any more valid than being a better father or a better husband or a better fiance or a better boyfriend or girlfriend. At the end of the day, you've got to do what makes you happy. And I've learned the hard way that the worst 10 words that you can, you know, you can think in the world are what will other people think and what will other people say. A lot of times in life, we're far too concerned with what other people think of us and our choices. At the end of the day, what you think is what matters the most. And what I would tell people is do what makes you happy. Do what you feel good about. And I've transitioned to a point, people talk to me about, do you miss competition? Do you miss accomplishing these things that you've accomplished? And the answer is no, because I actually derive more satisfaction and more pleasure by helping other people achieve their goals. There's nothing more rewarding than watching somebody else achieve a goal they've set for themselves. And that's something for me that at the end of the day, that makes me happier than any other thing in my life. Yeah, such a so well said. Go do what makes you feel happy, what makes you feel come alive. Not worrying about pressure from anybody else or society or what your parents think. And just go do that. That's great words of advice, sometimes hard to follow. But uh, absolutely, man, I love that. Well, let's get into let's get into the gym culture. You talked about it before. We we briefly touched on it. But how do you instill a winning mindset in the people you train at Jim Jones? You know, it takes a lot of work. It's not easy when you have a gym. Actually, I shouldn't say when you have a gym. When you're trying to train 500 people, you can't give your all to 500 people. It's impossible. What we do at Jim Jones is we have a very limited membership. We have 30 to 40 people who train there on a regular basis, and that's it. 
But I have a relationship with every single one of those people. We really look at the gym as more of a family than we do just a place to lift weights and exercise. Because of that, it allows myself, Lisa Frassard, Lisa Twite, Paul Roberts, Anelli, Johnny and James, all of our trainers at the gym to really interact with people on a one-on-one level. You know, we become friends with them. We really do become family to them. We care about them. You know, for example, when I moved to this house, we we just moved into a new house and I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to have a nice roof over my head and the, and the roof of my, you know, a roof over the head of my family. But it was incredible because I had 10 people from the gym helping me do this and move in together. And it was just, you know, it was one of those moments that I just reflected on once I was in this house and think like, what a wonderful feeling to be so connected with people uh, like minded people who all accomplish goals together, but it's much more beyond the gym. And that's, that's really what I think makes our gym special. Yeah. And what I think of when I hear that is the Jim Rohn saying that you're the average of the five people you hang out with. And absolutely. If you're in this environment where everyone's handpicked, whether it's five people or 30 or 40, like you said at Jim Jones, that is an incredible amount of people to be around who all are like-minded. And there's something else about the gym that I heard, and and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but isn't it invitation only? Like I can't go and just say, hey, uh, I want to be a member here. How much is the membership for the year? Can you talk about that? You're right. We interview people. I'm willing to give people a shot. If they email me and they can write an intelligent email and they ask to train, I'm willing to give people a chance, but the reality is we don't let everyone in the gym. I want to protect the culture, and the beauty of Jim Jones is you can walk in there anytime, and you can have an NFL player beside an NBA player, beside a soccer mom, beside a senior citizen, and beside an accountant, and they're all working hard, and they all share a common bond, and they all become friends, and I want to protect that at all costs. So it is invite only, and we don't discriminate based on socioeconomic status. We don't discriminate based on your ability to lift or your fitness level. We discriminate based on your heart. And if you're willing to work hard and you're a good human being, you have a place with us. And it it, it really makes for a special environment. It's one of the things I'm I'm most proud of in terms of things I've accomplished. I'm very proud of the environment that we have worked so hard to build. And it's not just me. I mean, my fiance, Lisa Frassard, has a big hand in that. Our owner, Lisa Twite, has a, you know, I would say has a bigger hand in that than anybody. We've really built this incredible environment and it's 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 just a beautiful thing. So what does it take? You said heart, but I have a feeling that you're going to put people through a ring or some sort of physical test. You're going to see what their mindset's like, how they handle the challenge. Could you walk us through what that would be, what it takes to join Jim Jones? You know, there are different challenges for different people. I think there's a different standard for everybody. The person who, you know, it's funny, we always compare what we do. I fought in the UFC and that's, and I, and that's wonderful to some people. Some people think that's a big deal. But I have a friend that lost 200 pounds and I look at that and I think that's far greater than anything I've ever accomplished. And so he's got a place at the gym. And we, we judge people differently according to where they are starting from. The real secret to gain entrance to Jim Jones is first of all to be a good person, to be respectful, to be nice to other people and want to help other people. That's a very important part of the puzzle. Another very important part of the puzzle is to work your ass off. I don't care where you're starting from. I judge you on the work you're willing to put in. You could be the most unathletic person on the face of the planet. If you're willing to work hard, that adds spirit to our place and that rubs off positively on other people. So I wouldn't say there's a specific challenge. You've just got to be a good person and work your ass off. Do those two things. You're welcome in our house any day of the week. I love that. So the challenge has to do with where the person is. I also have another question because I saw you in a video burning some Lululemon wear. Yes. <laughs> Can you talk about that? Was that just a joke or is that something you really do if someone shows up in some Lululemon gear to your gym? It's really funny. So the background of Lululemon was I'm from Canada and Lululemon started in Canada as a female only brand. 
That's the reality. I think the company started in 98 or 99. And by 2005, every girl was wearing Lululemon, but there was no men's line in Canada yet. So you can imagine when men started wearing Lululemon in Canada, they were made fun of a little bit. It was looked at a girl's brand. It would be like you going to Victoria's Secret and buying some of those pants that say pink on the back and wearing them to the gym. So I've always made fun of people, jokingly, of course, that wear Lululemon, and I've tried to educate them that it's a female brand and they should wear something else. So when people come to the gym, I make them burn their Lululemon, but I also provide them with new clothing that they can wear and they can sport proudly. And that's uh, that's a pair of Roan shorts and a Roan t-shirt. Yeah, very cool. And uh, I'm going to look into that. I wear Lululemon, Rob, but I'll tell you why. I go and train people at their homes. When I work out at home, I'm barefoot, shirtless, and in a beat up pair of shorts. And uh, probably not even wearing underwear, actually. Probably a little TMI there, but just to give the idea, I'm bare bones and I take care of business there. But I totally get it. And I'm looking for a good alternative. So I will definitely check out the Roan. I'm going to help you, Ted. When we get off this podcast, you're going to email me your address and your sizes. I'm going to help educate you. I'm going to change your life. <laughs> um, Roan is a company, in all seriousness, that is run by wonderful people. The owners have become very good friends of mine. And you know what? It, it's kind of funny. I, I think it's more than clothing. Everything I involve myself with, I believe in 100%. And when you know, I started to wear Roan, they'd asked me if I wanted to represent them formally. And I wasn't sure because what's more important to me than a paycheck is the people I surround myself with. But over time, I got to know them and they were incredible people, really good people, the same values that I have. And they believe in a lot more than clothing. And so it's something that's become really part of my universe. And I would be happy to send you a little care package. Awesome. Thank you so much. And and definitely looking forward to that, man. And now I want to even look more into Rome because I'm looking for like-minded people to align myself with. And I'll tell you, I went into Lululemon on Lincoln Road, which is, I don't know if you've been in Miami Beach, but that's on a, a hot strip in Miami Beach. It's this outdoor mall. And I tried to get in with them a little bit more. And it's just like, it doesn't vibe, you know, it, it doesn't quite vibe. And they were like, Hey, we're trying to market towards men. I'm like, this is like, yeah, you guys need to rearrange how you deal with guys in general. It's it's a very female-oriented place, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's funny. They're trying to corner the, the men's market. I don't think they're doing such a great job, though. Anyway. You know, and, and, you know, the biggest thing for me, Ted, with all this stuff is, you know, it, it's funny. I make fun of people jokingly. I'll never put anybody down and I'll never hurt anybody's feelings. One of the things I love about the gym is we really do have a locker room type environment. And if you've ever played a sport or been in a locker room, it's a real community. I mean, being involved in jujitsu, it's a team sport is what it is. And the people you train with become your brothers and you laugh together, you cry together, you make fun of each other. But like I said, you become who you surround yourself with in every single person I surround myself with, every single brand I you know surround myself with are wonderful people. I'm involved with a shoe company called Lalo Shoes. I'm involved with Jim Jones. I'm involved with Roan, the Church of Bobby Maximus, of course. And the one thing that those places all have in common is, Ted, I could have you over to my house with dinner with the CEO of Lalo, the CEO of Roan, the marketing director of Roan, the marketing director of Lalo, and people from the gym, and you would leave that, you would leave my house, and your number one takeaway from that would be, what an incredible group of nice people, and and thinking about the friends you had just made, and that's more important to me than any brand, any logo, any paycheck, and that's, like I said, I'll say that till I'm blue in the face, something that I'm extremely proud of, to be able to have that kind of life. Yeah. And that's a powerful lesson for anyone living, really using that as a standard to aspire to in who you hang out with, because far too often it's just geography that determines who we hang out with, who we grew up with, and it's not intentional. So being more intentional about who you surround yourself with, who your friends are and what businesses you align yourself with. I love that, Bobby. That's an awesome takeaway, man. and, And here's the thing, Ted. I grew up in a town of 1,800 people. It's probably up to 2,200 now. And one of the things that I dearly miss about my little town of Cape Real, Ontario, is that everyone cared about each other. When you moved into a house, 
The neighbors brought you food. The neighbors brought you a case of beer. Hell, the neighbors helped you move. You know, everyone, it was a real community. And it's the kind of place that if you showed up in my little town on somebody's doorstep and said, I call myself Bobby Maximus. My real name's Rob McDonald. If you said, hey, I'm a friend of Robbie McDonald, you'd be welcome in and you'd be given a place to stay and you'd be given a hot meal. And I think that's what's really missing in the world. And one of the things with the brands I align myself with, Lalo Roan, Jim Jones, with the people that I work with, I mean, even down to legal counsel, they're all really good people. And because you're a friend of mine, they would treat you with that same respect. And I think that's something that's missing in this world today. You know, that set, that real genuine, not a sense of community because you show up and pay your gym membership and you're part of something. I'm talking a real valid community where people care about each other and people genuinely do the right thing. And so it's, it's, it's become to a point. I was joking with somebody the other day that I don't have a real job. I work harder, I think than anybody, but I don't have a real job because I work with, you know, people that are my chosen family and people that I love and people that love me in return. And it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah. Blurring the lines between work, play and coworkers and friends. That's awesome, man. Something that I aspire to as well. I, I guess I do have that to, to a degree, but what you're talking about is just on the next level. And that's definitely something that's in my mind right now. And yeah, Thanks for holding the standard up to the next level. It's funny. People talk about holding a standard up to the next level. It's natural to me. It's just the way I was raised and the way things should be. It's an incredible feeling when me and my fiance, we have a baby on the way. And it's a very, very happy moment for us. And it's an incredible feeling when the people we work with, like, like, like the CEO of Lalo and the CEO of Roan, when they care more about my family and how happy we are than what we can add to their business. That's such a wonderful place to be in. And they're people that are, that are dear friends. They're coming to our wedding and because they are friends and if the businesses fell apart, they would still be people I could count on and people that I would want to remain associated with and have a friendship with. And I think with training people to bring it back to training, that's what we do at Jim Jones. That's the type of environment we want. That's what makes us, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, that's what makes us unique and special. We're much more than just a gym. Yeah, that's like a brotherhood or a family. I love that, man. And yeah, you know, to stay on this topic for a little bit, I interviewed the COO of Onnit, another very successful company. And they just want to be interns. They don't care if they get paid. They just want to be around the people on it because they feel like they're so awesome. And that sounds like the same thing that you're doing with what you do at Jim Jones and all the business relationships that you've created. And I kind of think it's this movement and, and I would love to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on this, but it's this movement away from like the old dinosaur way of thinking where you have to beat people to make them work harder, to make more money. It's starting to be more about like, I need to connect with what I'm doing with the people I spend time with, or I just don't fucking care, right? And I'm not going to work hard. And I don't care about you because you don't care about me. And it just creates this this stressful adversarial environment where everybody's just looking out for themselves. There's no loyalty. They'll stab people in the back or cut, leave their job as soon as another option comes up simply because this lack of camaraderie, this lack of family, this lack of belonging and lack of safety as well. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And then we'll get into some training techniques. Yeah, the reality is life is short. And I learned this lesson the hard way. I lost my dad when I was 20 years old. And my dad died at the young age of 49. And one of the things that I've heard about my dad over and over and over again is what a wonderful human being he is and what a good person he he was. And that's what people remember. And I look at that and it's something that I've based my life on that if I could be as good of a person as my dad was, I would really be something special, you know? I wish people were more like that because life is really short. You have one chance on this planet to make the most of it. It's too short to be worried about negativity, too short to be putting other people down, too short to live in stress and strife. I mean, enjoy it because it's short 
and it can be really, really meaningful. And I, I wish more people would learn that lesson. I think everyone does learn that lesson at a point, but I think a lot of people learn it too late in life to really do anything about it. And so that's how I've strived to live my life. And every day, what matters most, what I've learned is money doesn't make people happy. Things don't make people happy. What makes people happy is something far deeper than that and something from inside. And if more people were in tune with that, this world would be, man, it would be an incredible place. Yeah, a lot more fun, a lot better relationships, a lot better experiences. And uh, hopefully I am right about this and there's this shift in consciousness and about what people want out of a business, out of their lives, out of the economy, and not just my own delusion there. So let's jump into some training because you have some fascinating ways of approaching training. Can you talk a little bit about your philosophy and your principles when it comes to the actual training that you do? Yeah. So there's a few guiding principles. The first one is the mind is primary. We believe that the psychological is more important than the physical. The mind and body certainly have a link. And at the end of the day, I've said it, you know, I said it earlier in this, in this podcast that, that working out is just picking shit up and putting it down. What matters is the psychological thoughts, the brain power that you put into it. That's what's going to change you as a person and that's what's going to change you for the better in the long run. We also believe that to do be good at something, you've got to do it every single day. Michael Phelps wasn't born a good swimmer. He swam 1,300 hours a year for 10 straight years. Kobe Bryant wasn't born a gifted basketball player. He worked at it. Michael Jordan worked at it. A lot of people don't realize Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. He wasn't naturally talented, but he worked his ass off. He became the best player in the NBA. And so we believe in doing something every day and working hard and you will get rewarded. We also believe in functional fitness and functional fitness isn't standing on a BOSU or doing something funky with cables or some new fangled piece of equipment. We believe in fitness that transfers to your actual goal. So Ted, I'll use you as an example. You want to be a better jujitsu competitor. You want to be a better fighter. Does your training help accomplish that goal? If your training's helping you accomplish that goal, your training is functional. If your training's not helping you accomplish that goal, it is not functional, no matter how great it looks. We also believe in goal-driven training. Every single person in our gym has a goal. It's not enough to just want to be fit. That's a loose definition that, that no one can grab hold of. What is your definition of fit? Do you want to deadlift a lot? Do you want to row faster? Do you want to run faster? Every single person that walks through our doors has a very specific goal. Yeah. Great, man. I, I love it. And I'm all on board with all of that as well. Do you have challenges that you do? I was reading somewhere about like a row challenge or can you talk a little bit about some of the challenge workouts that you do? And uh, perhaps something that someone listening can even try. Yeah, we have we have various challenges. You know, I am always challenging people because I believe without challenge, we don't learn and we don't grow as human beings. We do not want to just show up at the gym, swipe our membership card, and go through the motions. And if you walk into any global gym, you'll see a bunch of people doing this. We believe in challenging people, throwing them on the fire, so to speak, having putting them in situations where they can pass or they can fail. And I think through failure, we learn a lot. Through my failures, I've learned more than through any one of my successes. And so we give people these challenges. One of the challenges I love is the 2,000-meter row or skier for time. One of the reasons I love that because it's just you against the computer. If I tell you to do a 2,000 meter row for time and the standard is seven minutes, if you get a 659, you accomplish the standard. If you got a 701, you did not accomplish the standard. You failed. You can't tell yourself you did better form and that's why you were slower. You can't cheat and you can't you know, get a better time even though you cheated. It's black and white. It's ruthless self-evaluation. So that's one of the challenges that we use because it teaches people a lot. And it's credible to change in somebody when they fail, when they fail, when they fail, and then finally they pass the confidence they gain from that and then what they take out into the real world. Now, you may be at home listening thinking, I don't have a rower. I don't have a skier. 
run a mile and a half for time. You just have to make it a mile and a half in nine minutes. And the same rules apply. 8.59, you did the standard. 9.01, you failed. Start working towards that. And through your failures and successes, you'll learn a lot about yourself. Yeah. And uh, Bobby, some people may argue, you said earlier uh, with the 2000 meter row for time, that if you're 701, you're not making the standard and you can't say that your technique wasn't as good. What would you say to someone who criticized that approach, talking about the incidence of injury being up or talking about, you know, the longevity of that type of training? What would you say? You know, the reality is there are things you can hurt yourself doing. If you do max deadlifts for time, there's a risk associated with it. If you do max burpees for time, there's a certain risk associated with it. Nobody hurts themselves on a rower. I mean, I'm sure it's happened, but it's really hard to. Challenges like that that are pass-fail and you have to give it your all, safety is also important. I try to pick things that people can't hurt themselves doing. And in the process, injury is a part of training. I mean, apart from that – The more you push yourself, the chance of injury goes up. If you play a sport, you're going to blow a hamstring at some point. Shit happens. I think we're better for it. I think dealing with injuries can teach us a lot. It's all part of the game and all part of the process. Nothing comes easy. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Yeah, interesting perspective because I feel like there's two basic types of people. There's type A people and then there's everyone else, right? And uh, everyone else needs that push. They are the ones who always quit before they quit in their mind before their body has really been pushed to the limit. And then there's the type A people kind of like how I was in jujitsu. And I'm, I'm sure you went through the same thing where it's like, yeah, your knee hurts and you know, your shoulder hurts and your elbow was hyperextended by an arm bar the other day. But yeah, you just learn to ignore that. And when you keep doing that, of course, if you're the type A person and you you keep pushing through it, those injuries become more chronic and then they become more permanent and they become a part of what you deal with every day. What would you say to someone about riding the line between about pushing yourself and challenging yourself in the gym, but also knowing when to listen to your body and back off so you don't end up with any permanent injuries? You know, I guess it all comes down to what you're willing to pay to accomplish your goal. If you want to be a professional fighter, it's part of the game. It's part of the contract you sign that you're going to get hurt at some point. I've had numerous concussions. I've had blown knees. I've had broken ribs. I've had a severed tendon in my hand. I've had a busted elbow. I've had a broken collarbone. I mean, shit happens. That's part of the sport. You've just got to make sure that it's worth it to you. When it comes to fitness, however, you always have to ask yourself, does this get me closer to my goal or further away from my goal? So Ted, your goal is to be the best fighter in the world. You want to win a world championship. I imagine it's worth it to you to risk blowing your knee or risk getting a concussion. True or false? If I were in that position, it would be worth the risk, sure. Absolutely. On the other hand, if your goal is to look better naked, Your goal is to be a better father. Your goal is to be healthy or be better at your job. Does it make sense for you to take the risk and incur injury? Yes or no? Yeah, no, in that that instance, sure. So it all relates to your goals. And that's why goal setting is so important to me and so important to the people that I train because with every goal – there are going to be some positives associated with it, and there's going to be some risks associated with attaining that goal. What's your goal and how much risk are you willing to incur? Yeah, And you have to find the right balance between those two. And so if I'm a person who's just training to look better or be fit, it doesn't make sense for me to get hurt because that takes me farther away from my goal. If I'm trying to be the best athlete in the world, well, now it's just something a little different. I'm going to incur that risk because that's part of the game powerfully stated. And if you're listening right now, think about what Bobby's telling you and think about what your goals actually are. Because I don't think, I mean, everybody wants to look better. Everybody wants to have lower body fat or, you know, tone muscles or bigger muscles if you're a guy. But think about what you're doing for training, what the results are, and if it's in alignment for what your goal is. And if you don't have a goal, sit down and think about what you really want. Because if you want to be in shape for 
a sport that's different than being in shape for the rest of your life and being able to play with your kids and not have to sit down because you blew out your knee or your back playing football or, or whatever. So I love that, Bobby. And you made it really clear. Thanks for that. Yeah. Very clear. And you know what? You know what? The other thing too with that is I don't judge anybody's goals. All I care is that your words are consistent with your actions. And I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to look a little better. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to be healthier, wanting to be better at your job, wanting to be a better dad. And like I said, all those things I think are as valid as wanting to be the best basketball player in the world. Just make sure your words are consistent with your actions and your training program is consistent with your goals. Yeah. Well said, man. Well said. I love that. That's awesome. Would you be willing to share a couple more things that people could implement and try out some Jim Jones special recommendations as far as like, you know, doing the the 21 burpee ladder or, or some things like that, that someone could go listen to this episode and try after and then we'll wrap things up. Yeah, I'm going to give you my two favorite workouts. I'm big on body weight exercises and I'm great on psychological challenges. I try to pull myself from equipment as much as I can because sometimes I think we become too dependent on the equipment. The reality is if you have a strong work ethic in an empty room, you can work as hard as anybody else on the planet. One of my favorite workouts is a 20 to 1 burpee ladder. It's Simple, but it's not easy. You do 20 burpees, you walk across the room, you do 19 burpees. You walk back across the room, you do 18. And then 17, 16, 15, all the way to one. It's essentially 210 burpees for time. The next time that you think you don't have any equipment and can't train, or that you don't have enough time to train, a workout like that takes under 25 minutes, try doing the 20 to one burpee ladder, which I call prison burpees. (laughs) And you will never complain about not having equipment again, and you will realize you can get a shit ton of work done in 25 minutes. That's one of them. The other one I love is a push-up, pull-up, and dip circuit. You set a timer to 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 45 minutes if you're advanced, and you do as many push-ups, pull-ups, and dips as you can in the allotted time. It's incredible when you work like that, how many reps you can get done. In 20 minutes, you can do 100 strict pull-ups, strict dips, and strict push-ups. That's a lot of work. If all you did was did that every single day, by the end of the year, you would have done 36,500 pull-ups, 36,500 dips, 36,500 push-ups. Now, let me ask you a question, Ted. How many push-ups or pull-ups have you ever done in your life? 36,000? It's a lot. It can make a real meaningful difference in your fitness. And so that's one of my favorite workouts as well. Yeah, cool. So the 20 to 1 burpee ladder and the push-up, pull-up, and dip for either 10, 15, or 20 minutes. Yeah, that sounds completely brutal. Two pushing moves with a a pull-up. Man, that... uh, have to give that a try. And if you're listening, try those out. Make sure you listen to your body, of course. Don't blow anything out, but definitely give these a try. And it's very minimal equipment. Like you said, Bobby, it's so nice to be able to get a workout no matter where you are or what equipment you have available. And all you need is uh, just a few things to accomplish those. Awesome, man. Yeah. Did you have a follow-up? Yeah. Yeah. And think about this. The two most important people in my world are my fiance, Lisa, and my son landed and are soon to be boy or girl. We don't know what it's going to be yet, but I want to spend time with them and I want to be a good family person. And these body weight exercises are things I can do when I spend time with my family. A lot of people say, I don't have time to train. I'm spending time with my family. What's wrong with doing push-ups while you're watching TV? What's wrong with playing in the backyard and doing burpees? What's wrong with doing some squats during every commercial break? I spend a lot of quality time you know, with my family. The family in my life is a number one priority, but it doesn't mean I can't get a lot of quality work done. And if I just do 100 squats while watching a TV show every day, there's 36,000 a year again. It's pretty incredible what you can do. So you can make it part of your routine. That's what I love about the body weight exercises. You don't need a special gym. You don't need a special place. You don't need special equipment. You just get shit done. I love it, man. And if you're listening, now you have no excuse. 
start doing those squats on the commercial breaks, try one of the workouts that Bobby recommended. And Bobby, thanks so much for coming on. I didn't know how this conversation was going to go, but I'm really inspired by your story, by your message, by how you look at training and how it's a way to achieve self-actualization than just pretty abs or nice biceps. So for anyone listening who wants to learn more about what you do at Jim Jones or the Church of Bobby Maximus or some of the seminars that you put on, where could they go or where should they go to find out more about you? You know, first of all, there's my Instagram at Bobby Maximus. You can go to my Twitter at Bobby Maximus. You can go to the Jim Jones webpage, www.jimjones.com. You can also find me, you know, I regularly interact with Lalo Shoes and Roan. Lalo's Instagram is at Lalo Tactical. And then Roan is at Roan Apparel. And these are all places that, that you know, I have platforms on. And even besides me, there are so many wonderful people involved in each community that you can learn from. You know, some of the people from Roan, some of the people from Lalo, you know, a lot of the other people from Jim Jones, these are all people that have a very important message and go far beyond just that go that goes far beyond just business. And I think that there are a lot of people in our community that I have learned from and I would want you to learn from too. Awesome. And definitely check out Bobby's Instagram. He puts up a ton of stuff on there. Some funny, some educational. You will definitely learn something. You will be inspired and you'll see just how much of a beast he is. Equally matches his inspirational words and kindness. So Bobby, thanks so much, man. I will have the links to everything that you mentioned in the show notes for this episode. And what about some final words for the people listening to push them over the edge? You know, the final words, and I think the most important words are, is believe in yourself above anything else. You're capable of anything you put your mind to. You just have to believe that you have the ability to do it overcome your limitations and work hard enough. And if you could do those things, anything you want is possible. No one can tell you that you can't do anything. The only one who decides whether you can or can't do something is yourself. Bobby, thank you so much for those inspirational words, for your knowledge, your wisdom, and most importantly, your time. Thank you very much. Welcome to the takeaways section. And wow, what a powerful interview. Bobby is so inspiring in part because he didn't grow up as this badass that he is today, as this wrestler, this UFC fighter, this director of training at one of the most elite and hardcore gyms on the planet. It was through his choices and that he became this person. And I want you to take that away from this interview that through his choices, he wasn't something naturally, but he became something different. And far too often, we get hooked into our identity. We're this type of person and we can't make a change when in reality, maybe we'll never become world class at something. But we can make huge change in our life. And that's the most important. It's not about being number one. It's about making shifts in who we are, in who, in our behavior, in our habits to become a better version of ourselves. And I also love that fitness for him was not just about getting in shape. It was a path to self-actualization. It was about becoming the best version of himself. And that's what he does there at Jim Jones. I also like, as you heard, it doesn't matter how in shape or out of shape someone is to join Jim Jones, because as you heard in the interview that they don't let anybody join. But he said, people who give it their all are welcome and they have to try out, of course. And so there is no set standard in that regard that in the physical regard that you have to complete a certain number of burpees or do a timed run or on the rower, anything like that. It really is about the mindset. And that's such an interesting takeaway. It, it's a unique gym in that regard, in, in that way. So that was another 
takeaway that I thought was super valuable. And also how Bobby was or is intentional about who he surrounds himself with, even at the business level. It's not just about his family. It's it's also about the businesses he is uh, partnered with. And he talked about Roan. He also talked about Lalo Tactical. And Bobby's going to be sending me some some shoes and some shorts because as you heard I in the interview, I wear Lululemon simply because it's a brand that all my clients recognize. But I wouldn't mind shifting things up and trying something different. I think Lululemon is is good and they're much more sturdy than some of the Under Armour or Nike shorts I've had in the past. But uh, I'm, I'm really excited about trying out the Roan wear and uh, I'll give a a review on it if you're interested. I'll tell you right now, Lululemon's pretty well made and that's why I buy it. And also for like the branding as me as a personal trainer, because I go to all these multi-million dollar properties, I'm not going to be wearing like uh, the lower end stuff. It's simply, it's not what is going to present me in the best light, even though I'm working my way out of being in those places. But I will do a review. Very interested in trying the the Maximus shoe. Bobby has a, a shoe named after him, the Maximus. That's pretty cool. From a tactical clothing company. That's pretty amazing. Pretty cool stuff. And that's the last thing is Bobby went and created this life for himself where he's helping people reach their full potential at Jim Jones. He's surrounded himself with great people personally and professionally, he's also done that. And I want you to think about where are you not living up to your values, to your standards in your life? Where do you need to make some changes? That was the biggest takeaway that I'll leave you with is think about who you're hanging out with, what you're doing for work, who you're surrounded by at home. Think of your friends. Think of where you are playing small and where you perhaps need to upgrade. That's the thought I want to leave you with. Hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you on the next one.